0: I wonder, do you guys remember the story of Joseph? Joseph, the the son of Jacob, remember he was the firstborn son of Jacob's favorite wife, Rachel. And Jacob treated his son Joseph very special. He he treated him the way you would expect the first son to be treated. In ancient culture, the the first son would receive a double portion of the inheritance uh, when the father passed away. And you know that robe of many colors that, that Joseph had? That, that robe, some scholars believe, we actually don't know what that word means where it says colors, many colors. There's, it's actually unclear. It's not a Hebrew word that we know what it means. Some people have suggested that maybe it meant Joseph had a very long robe. And um, it's interesting that the, the people who had long robes were the people who had lots of pockets in their robes for lots of money, so that when jacob gave joseph this special robe he was signifying that he would receive a double portion of the inheritance uh he he probably doted on joseph quite a bit and i think it kind of went to joseph's head you guys might know the story that joseph didn't get along too well with his brothers not only did his father treat him in a special way but he he was kind of a tattletale they were out tending the sheep and he would tell on his brothers to his father and get them in trouble uh, I don't know if you've ever had a sibling that did that to you. It doesn't feel pleasant. And then he had the audacity, the audacity to dream. He had these dreams. And in one dream, he was gathering wheat into sheaves. And, and his sheaf stood up tall, and the other 11 sheaves bowed down to his sheaf, meaning that his 11 brothers would bow down to him. They really didn't like that. Then he had a second dream. And, and let me tell you, Joseph was not necessarily very humble or very wise about his dreams. His second dream was that the sun, the moon and 11 stars bowed down to his star. Not only did his brothers dislike that, his father didn't like that. His father said, "What are you thinking that your mother and I are going to bow down to you?" But he kept it in his mind. he kept it in his heart. because Joseph really, he was a prophet, and God spoke to him through his dreams. And when he had these dreams, he didn't know what really they meant. He had an idea of what they meant. but He didn't know what it would look like in his life. He didn't yet have a vision for what his calling would look like in the day-to-day, on-the-ground, practical, real life. He just had this sense that there was something about him that was going to be great. He didn't know what it was. And you know... um, I think that for a lot of us, we sometimes have an idea of what our calling is, but we don't necessarily know what it's going to look like fleshed out on the ground. And so today, when we look at the book of Nehemiah, we're going to look at this concept of getting ready to act. What does it mean? Like last week, we talked about what is my calling? But what does it mean to go from here's my calling, here's, here's, here's a sense of the The people I'm called to, the place I'm called to, the purpose God has given me. And by the way, if you don't have that figured out today, whether whether it's because you haven't thought about it before, or maybe you've been going along this journey with us, but you still don't know, you still couldn't kind of put it into words what it is you're called to do, that's okay. Because this will still be helpful for all of us to think, well, once we have that, what do we do with it? And in the study that you're that we're doing, so many of us are doing together. There's some very practical and concrete ideas about how to go from here's an idea a concept to here's what we can actually do but joseph had that problem i've got a general idea but i don't know what to do yet and nehemiah had the same problem nehemiah was uh he was a a cupbearer for king artaxerxes in the city of susa in persia in 444 BC. Okay? 444 BC. That's about 2,460 years ago. And he's serving this king, the king who was the conquering ruler of Israel and of Judah. And here he was, a Jewish person serving this foreign king. And he had a burning sense that God wanted him to help repair Jerusalem. He didn't know how it was going to work. And even after he goes to the king and asks for help, and the king says, yes, I'll help you, he still doesn't truly know what it is that he has to do. Because remember, Nehemiah had never even been to Jerusalem. Nehemiah didn't know what the problem looked like on the ground. And so for a lot of us, if we have a sense of what we're called to do, we have that proverbial dream like Joseph. You know, we, we, ha- we have a sense from the Lord that this is going to happen but we don't yet know how it's going to happen, there's some things that we're going to need to do. So I'd like to look at a few of those today, and what we want to do is really apply them directly to our own situation. And I can't obviously do that for every single one of us here today, so what I'm going to do is focus on what we collectively, as the body of Christ, and what we as Fellowship Church can do to live out our calling. So we just kind of looked at that identity statement, this is who we are. Well, what does that look like fleshed out in real life? Okay? So the first thing that we want to look at is this concept of determining the scope of the mission. Now, we've been talking about Joseph. Joseph had no idea what was before him. He had no idea how he was going to come to be a a person who would rule even his brothers and his mother and his father. And um, if you know, he was sold into slavery first, and then he was put into prison, and then finally out of prison, he became the second highest person in charge of all of Egypt during a famine. And his leadership in Egypt saved not only the Egyptians from the famine, but all of Canaan, his family, everyone, the the family of God through which we have the birth eventually of Jesus Christ comes through, Joseph being in that position to save them. But he didn't know ahead of time what that would look like. Well, it's the same with Nehemiah. So let's look at Nehemiah. And I invite you to turn to chapter 2. And that's where we're going to be looking for the rest of our time together. It's in Nehemiah chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible, there is one like this underneath one of the seats around you. You're welcome to pull that out. Or, of course, use your phone or tablet and we'll look at it together. So last week, we began looking at Nehemiah chapter 2 in the beginning. Today, we're going to start in verse 11. So Nehemiah has talked to the king. The king has said, Okay, you can, in fact, go to Jerusalem and rebuild the walls. But Nehemiah doesn't yet know how to actually fulfill his calling. So in verse 11, it says this, I went to Jerusalem, and after staying there three days... I set out during the night with a few others. I had not told anyone what my God had put in my heart to do for Jerusalem. There were no mounts with me except the one I was riding on. So, very simply, Nehemiah arrives in Jerusalem. He travels the, you know, the probably 800 miles or so to get to Jerusalem from where he was. And after he arrives there, he stays there three days. And then that night, he goes out to explore what's really going on with the city. What's really going on with these walls that have been broken down and these gates that have been burned? Because that's why he came, to rebuild those things. And remember, these walls were what separated Jerusalem from her enemies. It was the only protection they would have against an attack. And so without these walls, they were, they were exposed. They were mocked and scorned. They were... They were you know, just unable to really defend themselves or to have any sense of peace or safety in their home. So he goes out to explore them. And it says that he didn't tell anyone else yet. He just went out with a few people that he brought with him, but he didn't tell anyone what was going on. So then what does his ride look like? So he goes out there with his horse, and it says, by night I went out through the valley gate toward the jackal well and the dung gate, examining the walls of Jerusalem which had been broken down, and its gates, which had been destroyed by fire. Then I moved on toward the fountain gate and the king's pool, but there was not enough room for my mount to get through, so I went up the valley by night, examining the wall. Finally, I turned back and re-entered through the valley gate. So Nehemiah knew better than to just jump in and start working right away. You know, can anyone relate to the idea? You get this great idea, and then you just want to start doing it. You know, and yeah, some hands are going up. Or, or you feel like God has put some passion on your heart, some calling for you in your life, and you just think, oh, I just got to get out there and start working. That's so tempting, isn't it? Because it feels like you're moving forward, like you're accomplishing something. But Nehemiah doesn't do that. The first thing he does is, as we saw, he determines the scope of the mission. He says, what is it that really needs to be done here? And I think for a lot of us, it's tempting to skip that step you know we think oh i i know it needs to be done i know i know what it'll look like to fulfill my calling but you know i wonder if any of the people in the bible if you were to ask them before they did all the great things that they did what will it look like in your life to do what god's called you to do most of them would probably be wrong and i think i think when we look back at our own lives don't you see how so often the pathway you think you're going to take to get somewhere, even if you get to the destination that God promised you, you often take a very different pathway to get there, don't you? Because God has this crazy idea that actually He should be in charge of your calling instead of you. He has this mysterious notion that He knows better how to do things than you do and that I do. In fact, you know, I've joked with people sometimes, and, 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 you know, uh, about people will sometimes ask me, Stephen, you know, what do you think about, about predestination or about you know, are, is our life destined or do we have free will? And I, you know, I don't like to get in too deep on those things for a lot of reasons, but one of the things that I kind of just step back and think is, well, would I rather me make the decisions for my life or God make the decisions for my life? And look, that doesn't solve the question. It doesn't answer those things uh, theologically or philosophically, but it is an interesting question. If I had the choice, would I be the one deciding what I do in life, and I mean every day, or would I want God to be the one? In our best moments, what do we say? God should be the one. In the real life moment, where it matters most, what do we often say? No, thank you, Lord. I got it. I'll take it from here. You know, so we often don't know. We often don't know what it's like. You know, Part of determining the the scope of the mission though is being alert to what has come before you. Nehemiah shows up. He's never been to Jerusalem and he has to figure out what has happened here before I got here. Do you know how long it's been since those walls were broken down and the moment where Nehemiah shows up? It's about 140 years. 140 years those walls have been broken. Those gates have been burned and no one has repaired them. So Nehemiah's got to come in and say, what's the state of affairs? You know, and I think about how we have that similar need here, is anyone a history buff? Okay, out of this group, we had one person <laughs> raise his hand, which is fine. Oh, we got two. We got two history buffs. I love history, but, but I wonder how often we, we kind of ignore history. We think, oh, maybe that's not too relevant or too important for me. You know, We're a church in New England. And I don't know if you guys have noticed this, but New England and the church in New England is not like the rest of the country. So I grew up in Tennessee. Very different environment. Very different church environment. And I had to learn, what does it mean to be part of a church in New England? And specifically in the Boston area. There's a long history of the church here. Do you guys know that there are only two states that had churches before massachusetts in the united states there was one in virginia okay and that was in 1610 10 years before the earliest church in massachusetts okay and then there was one in well there were actually more than one in florida that were built before that in the 1500s built by the spanish of course it wasn't part of the united states back then it wasn't a colony uh it was just it was it was part of spain But there's only those two states that have churches before Massachusetts. And the churches in Massachusetts were originally founded by these people called Puritans and pilgrims. People who were really serious about their faith. And they had a profound impact on this colony and upon the state and upon the country. In fact, I don't know if you're aware of this, but the American government in some ways is based on congregational government and churches. And the ideas for what it meant to be self-governed that were preached and taught and distributed by the the patriots and founding fathers, primarily in Massachusetts, they experienced that on a day-to-day basis in their congregational churches. But this congregationalism that helped shape American democracy, it didn't remain what it was. And I would say in New England, the churches been struggling it began that struggle about 240 years ago in the 1780s is when we begin to see that the strong proud and not in a bad way but you know serving the lord that these churches begin to fall away they begin to wane and they begin to fade and the congregational churches which you know maybe not something that you guys are particularly you know googling on a saturday afternoon maybe not your interest but There was this thing called Unitarianism that took over the churches and the congregational uh, churches of Massachusetts. And I know some of you used to go to Park Street or maybe you've heard of Park Street Church down at the Park Street stop. Park Street Church was founded in 1801 specifically to counter this movement of Unitarianism. And Unitarianism is a belief that there is not a Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, but there's only one God. And so Jesus either is not God or he's just a kind of a manifestation of God, or somehow he becomes God, and all things that the church has rejected over the years. That no, there's a Father, a Son, a Holy Spirit, three persons, one God. And it's a mystery, but it's something that we hold to. Now these churches who started denying the Trinity, they also began to, of course, then deny the deity of Christ, and then they began to deny the miraculous works of god and scripture they were they were definitely a movement that came out of the enlightenment which was all about naturalism and anything miraculous was discarded and so there were churches that did not abandon their biblical faith but then many of them began to reinterpret it and so then you've got this next movement that happens not just in the Congregational churches but in many of the churches in Massachusetts and it has a name, it's called liberal theology, and it's different from liberal politics, so you know, there's a distinction there. But in liberal theology, what they basically said was, and this is in the late 1800s and 1900s, that, again, all the miracles of the Bible, they can't be true, because only natural things can be true. So if the miracles can't be true, not only did Jesus, was he not God, but Jesus wasn't born of a virgin Mary, and he wasn't raised from the dead. So, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is reinterpreted to mean something like, hey, when we struggle, we experience a type of death, but then we can be reborn in victory over the struggles in life. And they began to reinterpret the call of the gospel, not to repent of your sins and turn to Christ for salvation, but the call of the gospel was to do good works. They called it the social gospel. And it wasn't that Christians didn't want to do good works, it's that they replaced the gospel with good works. As they said, no, only good works matter. you know. And that's part of why even today, I mentioned before, the church struggles with, is it what I believe or is it what I do? Because in the past, there were movements that said, it doesn't matter what you believe, it only matters what you do. And so the pendulum swung back the other way, and it says, no, it doesn't matter what you do, it only matters what you believe. But the Bible says, no, it's both, it's both. And so we struggled as a church to to get back to that balance. So these these churches, these uh, liberal theology, liberal churches, they began to deny Genesis, deny the Old Testament, deny the miracles, deny the history of the Bible, deny Christ, all these things, and reinterpret them as something else. And then out of liberal theology, and guys, I know this might seem a little boring. Why are we having this lecture on the church, the church history of Massachusetts? But I think you're going to see how it, how it fits in because these things impact how we live as the church today. It impacts what we encounter as the church today. We're going to see these things, not just in other churches, but just in the culture that we live in, in ways that we wouldn't in other places. And so this, this liberal theology becomes progressive theology. Progressive theology is different from progressive politics. They have some similar elements, but it's this kind of postmodern, post truth claim that any, any claim the Bible makes of truth is just a power play to get you and me to conform to someone else's desires. And so they reject all truth claims of the Scripture. So not only is Jesus' resurrection reinterpreted to mean. Um, just that we can have a kind of emotional rebirth in our lives. But now the resurrection is actually something that we need to work against because it's an attempt by the church to exert power over people and take advantage of them. You know, this is very different from what Jesus taught, very different from what the apostles taught, very different from what the church has believed for 2,000 years. And then, of course, at the same time, we know that in New England... There's been a a decline in the Catholic Church, which was once very strong. Part of it is part of this demographic change, a shift that was happening. But part of it has to do with the abuse scandals that the Boston Globe was part of exposing and bringing to light. And it has caused a decline in the Catholic Church. So everywhere we look, the church in New England has been in decline. It's been its walls have been broken down its gates have been burned just like for Nehemiah in his day the physical walls for us there are these spiritual walls that have been broken down now when Nehemiah goes out to explore the walls he doesn't find that everything's broken right he doesn't find that all the gates are burned he names the ones that are in trouble right he names the ones that need to be repaired and so there's bright spots in the church in New England. Uh, some of you, and Sonia and I for sure, have been a part of wonderful churches here in New England. I think we have a wonderful church here in New England. Uh, I think there's, there's a lot of uh, Christians and ministries and churches that are doing amazing things right here in New England. Preaching the gospel, doing you know living out the gospel, being the body of Christ for, this, for their community and for each other but there's a lot who aren't you know and so part of what it means to know what your calling is is to be alert and aware of the situation around you to be able to identify here's where the problems are here's where the problems are not and so we can focus our attention where the problems are you know I mentioned uh, last week, and you know, you kind of think about what is my calling in life. And I got some feedback from some people this week, and you know, I heard different things. I heard, um, you know, my calling is, is to my family. I heard my calling is to, is to do this kind of work in the church or in the community. Uh, I heard I have a passion for, for these kind of people. But then which ones do you serve? Which, which, Uh, opportunities do you volunteer for and part of fulfilling your calling is knowing what not to do as much as it is what you need to do right because what if you responded with a yes to every single thing that you are interested in well some of you might say well i wouldn't respond to anything (laughs) some of you would say i would be responding to everything you know we have these varied interests we have these varied passions but you have to say no to some things in order to say yes to another. And that's something that as a culture we really don't like, right? We really don't like the idea of having to give something up to get something else. We want it all. We want it all. And what do the commercials tell us? You can have it all. Right? What is, whether it's television, movies, music, commercials, all of these uh, messages are hitting us daily that says you can have it all but we can't. We have to say no to some things in order to say yes to others. So Nehemiah knows that. He goes out and he says, where are the biggest problems? Where are the greatest needs? You know, the very first or maybe second, Beth, you might remember, Sonia, I think the second or first message that I preached here at this church was from Nehemiah chapter 2, 12 years ago. When our family came here, uh, this, this church was in trouble. A lot of you were here. A lot of you weren't here. I mean, that's, I mean, that's a good thing, right? Uh, a lot of new people, and, and uh, the church has grown. But when we it came, it was, it, was, it was a pretty sticky situation. And there was a question of whether this local body right here on Milton and Myrtle Street, whether it would continue, whether it would remain as a community, as a local body of Christ. And I read this passage, and I said, look, this is one of the gates that needs to be rebuilt. This is one of the gates. And very tongue-in-cheek, and I was being a little, being a, pushing the boundaries maybe a little, I said, hey, maybe we're the dung gate. <laughs> maybe we're the dung gate. Maybe we're the one where there's been a lot of refuse thrown, and it's broken down, and it's burned. And it's not fulfilling the purpose that it was called to fulfill. And when when we look back 12 years to today, we see a very different situation, don't we? But I think about in the story of Nehemiah, there's a part we're going to read later where Nehemiah says, the walls were halfway built. The walls were halfway built. So they were still exposed, but some work had been done. And that's kind of how I feel about this church, about us. I think our walls are halfway built. I think we've made some incredible progress. I think we've made some great strides and i think that our best is yet to come i think that we're not finished with the job yet and so part of determining the scope of the mission is also naming things as they are right it might feel unpleasant to sit in a, a, a sanctuary like this or be at home online and hear your pastor say hey this this church still has some broken spots that might be unpleasant But when we name it, we can continue working on it. We can continue pressing forward. Nehemiah does that. He does that so well. Um, If you look in in verse uh, 17 of Nehemiah chapter 2, Nehemiah gathers this group together and he says, You see the trouble we're in. Jerusalem lies in ruins and his gates have been burned with fire. Now, everyone there knew that. They lived there. But someone needed to say it. Someone needed to speak it out. Someone needed to acknowledge it with words so that they could get on the same page and work together. You know, when I look at our church, here's what I see. This is, this is said with all the love and appreciation and and joy that I have being a part of this community with you. What I see in our church is I see so much potential, right? So much potential that we haven't yet stepped into, even as I see all the wonderful things that have happened, all the incredible gifts that God has given us along the way. I can look out in this room, and I know some of you who are there online, and I can, I can, re- I can tell the stories of restoration I can tell the stories of healing. I can tell and, and recount the, the ways that God has worked through your life and through mine because we've been together. And I rejoice in that. And I thank the Lord for that. And I even think about um, how we have made some intentional strides over the last few years to really increase that and to press in press in to, the, to the restoration, to the growth, to the rebuilding work that God is doing here, and I can also say, and I can be honest that, wow, there's so much more God can do. There's so much more God can do in you. There's so much more God can do in us. Through us, there's a whole world, a community out there, thousands and thousands of people. You know where we are right here is within short driving distance. Obviously, of Dedham, but Hyde Park. Norwood, Milton, Roslindale, West Roxbury, Westwood, Canton. We're talking that must be hundreds of thousands of people. Need him. Hundreds of thousands of people who not only don't know Christ, but it's not even that they've rejected him, is they don't even know who he is. There are families that are broken. And it's not just that they have rejected God's help. They don't know that God has help to offer. There are relationships that need to be restored. And it's not that they have said no to forgiveness. It's that they've never known forgiveness, so they don't know how to do it. You know, this church can be, and it already is, but it can be even more so, a bright spot, a bright light in a dark world. And God is saying, hey, you don't have to settle for a half-built wall. Okay? You don't have to settle for that. Now, again, I'm not trying to be harsh. I, I, don't, I'm not, I hope you don't feel that as harsh because uh, I'm not saying we're useless. I'm not saying we're worthless. I'm just saying we have more work to do before we can say the job here is done. Okay? The job's not done, and that's okay. It's okay for the job not to be done as long as we keep pressing on. So, last week we talked about living a life worthy of our calling, right? Paul encourages us, live a life worthy of your calling. Don't do these things, do these things. And we talked about those, and you can go back and listen to that. Um, but it also means that we are coming to a place where we recognize how equipped we are to do the work that God has called us to do. Now, Rasu, in your prayer you said, you said, where we're not equipped, we know you'll equip us. And that's true. Where we're not equipped, God will equip us. But also, how much equipping has he already done? And oftentimes, we don't even realize it. I think with Nehemiah, you look at the people. 140 years, they've been sitting there with broken walls and burned down gates. No one knew how to pick up a trowel and set a brick on another. Nobody knew how to get lumber and build, build a big door. No one knew how to do these things. no. They already had everything essentially they needed, but they just needed someone to come and say, here's the problem, now let's do it. Here's the problem, now let's do it. They needed a purpose, they needed a vision for what it could be, and they needed hope and encouragement. And you know, sometimes, I just see this, sometimes it's hard for a small church to feel that encouragement, to feel that hope, to think that we can do it, to think that we have the resources we need. To think that we have the people we need we have the talent we need we have the spiritual gifts that we need god has blessed blessed us with every spiritual blessing we're not lacking but one thing that we need is we need a true team mentality we need to be thinking like the family of god a true team and one of the things that nehemiah does after he assesses the walls is he starts to build a team we read a little bit already, but look with me in verse 16 of chapter two, Nehemiah. It says this: "The officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing. So he's out at night riding on his horse, looking at the walls, walking around. Nobody else knew what I was doing, because as yet, I had not said, um, because as yet, I had said nothing to the Jews or the priests or the nobles or officials or any others who would be doing the work." He hadn't told any of them yet why not well i have a few ideas but i'll be quick with them if you see a problem that a whole bunch of other people are around and they're not doing anything about it it's probably a good idea to get real clarity on it before you talk to them because they're probably going to say if nehemiah said hey i want to go check out the walls they would say oh don't worry about that there's no point these walls can't be rebuilt Oh, I want to go look at the gates that have been burned. No, 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 no. We don't have what we need to rebuild those gates. Don't even waste your time. So Nehemiah is like, I don't need the naysayers. I'm just going to go and find out. He does a little research and then he tells them. <coughs> he says, you know, um, he gathers them together and then he says to them, you see the trouble we're in. I just read this. You see the trouble we're in. You know what's going on. I don't have to tell you, but you know what? I do have to tell you. Because none of you are saying it. None of us are admitting it. He says, Jerusalem lies in ruins. Its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and we will no longer be in disgrace. And then listen to this encouragement. I told them about the gracious hand of my God me and what the king had said to me. So I say to you this morning, the job's not done. Look, there's still building to do. But how faithful has God been to us? How faithful has God been to you? And how faithful has God been to this community? I know if you have been here over the years, you might get sick of me telling these stories over and over and over again. But to me, they're mind-blowing. When we came to this church, there was no phone because Verizon had cut off the phone line because we hadn't paid the bill. The plow guy who lives across the street had not been paid for the plowing and it was June. The previous pastor who had to leave had not received his final check. Beth and Astra who were working here were working for free. By the way, that is a, that's what you call a 100% tithe. A 100% tithe to help support this community and one of the first Sundays that I came it rained and there was water dripping from the roof into the building and I got to be honest with you I thought how in the world are we going to get out of this oh and there was a big loan on, a, on the building next door that had been built right before things kind of went, went a very difficult way how in the world Lord what are you going to do but it wasn't more than a few months, right, Beth? We got the phone back because we paid the back bill. We got the PAL guy paid. We sent a check to that pastor who thought he was never going to see another dime from this church. And we found someone who would fix the roof for half the price of the original estimate. I think it went from 30,000 to 15,000 dollars, and we actually had 15,000 dollars. It was crazy. And also, there is a house that, um, how should I put this? It was in a little bit of a disarray, and yet, by the grace of God, we were able to 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 fix that house up, and then within a year, we moved in. And that was that was eleven years ago in September. You know, God is faithful, and you know what? The money is just kind of like the. The money is just a tangible, observable um, side effect of the other things that were going on here. I remember coming into church on Sunday morning and we would have someone new show up. And then halfway through the service, I would just see them weeping. And I was like, yeah, they're going to stay. God's doing work. God's showing up. God's changing hearts. God's doing healing. And that hasn't stopped. Again, we're not done. We have a long way. We we had a long way to go, we had a long way to go. So we're not done, but God hasn't stopped. Yeah, God hasn't stopped. You know, we we will do this more when we have our night of consecration. But we're just we want to hear what has God done for you. What has God done in your life? What has God done? We want the stories because we need them. But you know what? Nehemiah encourages his people. He said, here's the reality of the problem, but here's the goodness of God. Okay? Here's the reality of our problem, but here's the goodness of God. And so I want to say to you, church, that God is inviting us. God is inviting us here today, those of you at home. We've we've been separated for so long, right? And we've had such limited ability to work together on things. God is saying, look, the time is coming very soon. And in some ways, it's already come. When you can come back together and work as a team again. And I think God is saying to us, be the team. Be the team that I've called you to be. Live a life worthy of your calling. This church, and I'm saying this very intentionally, should be an incredibly thriving, dynamic, powerful, influential, financially resourced, people resourced community of God right here on Milton and Myrtle. And the town that we live in and the towns around us, they should be able to say, our lives are better because there's that little church over there on Milton Street. This is, not, this is not craziness. This is just like basic Bible stuff. This is what God does with people who are willing to say yes. All we have to do is say yes. Now, church, a little bit more truth-telling. Can we handle it just a little bit more? We have too few people who do too much, okay? And in time of crisis, can someone tithe 100% of their income for a short period of time? Sure, sure. But we all need to, to, to bear that together and not just as a burden. Not everything you bear is a burden. You know what I'm saying by that? If you're a dad and you've ever picked up your child and thrown them in the air, that bearing was not a burden, Okay. God invites us to joyfully and generously give to the work of this ministry because he wants to create those things that I just described right here in Dedham. It means giving your time. Not all the things that need to be done can be done by the people who are doing them. Okay, There are things that don't get done that can get done if we all work together. Did I mention that we have a work day coming up on Saturday? <laughs> show up be a part it doesn't if you don't think you can do anything you're wrong i don't care who you are if you can get here you can do something and beth will be happy to tell you what it is (laughs) we need to serve we need to give our time you know there's this old phrase time talent and treasure does god have access to your time talent and treasure and i want to suggest to you that if if you're feeling really comfortable about the time talent and treasure you're giving then God is probably saying that you should give more, okay? I'm not saying that flippantly, and I'm not saying that as a, as a guilt trip, right? I'm saying, God is saying, you don't have a clue, you don't have a clue what can be done when you will d- devote yourself completely to what I'm doing. You, you can't even imagine what I'll do. And look, guys, we've seen it here already, so we don't have to wonder, I've seen it in my life. I've seen it in this church. And so have you if you've been here. We don't have to wonder. We know God has done it. Why would he not do it some more? Why would he not do it again? One of the things that we looked at a couple of weeks ago is that Nehemiah says, hey, Lord, you're the one that said that if your people humbled themselves, you would bring them back to the land and you would restore them in Jerusalem. So I want to build that wall and I want to see that happen because you promised it. Well, what has God promised us? The gates of hell cannot stand against the church. Nothing can prevail against his church. The only thing that causes churches to die is that believers stop believing, Is is that church members stop acting like the church, is that Christians stop acting like Christ. That's the only reason churches fail, and I believe that. It's the only reason. I've never seen a church where people love the Lord, are on fire for Him, are living the way He called them to live, they're serving the way He called them to serve, and then the church just dies. By the way, I'm not saying we're close to death. We're not. It's really quite amazing how God continues to sustain us. You know, whether it's your own personal calling or our calling together, God never meant for us to do it alone. He always sends the disciples out two by two. Paul has Barnabas. Paul has Silas. Paul has John Mark. <laughs> Paul is always partnering with people. You know, and it's almost, a, it's almost a, a, a cliche to talk about the Lone Ranger Christian, right? But for those of you who don't know who the Lone Ranger is, there was this radio show and then books and a TV show called The Lone Ranger where there's this Texas Ranger who was ambushed by, was it Butch, Butch Cavendish? Does anyone know? And and he killed all of the Lone Ranger's fellow Rangers. There were six of them. He killed five of them. The Lone Ranger is the only one who lived. So he's the Lone Ranger. He's the only Ranger, and he's going to go out on his own and catch the bad guy. The only problem with that image of the Lone Ranger is that he's not alone. He has Tonto. Tonto is the Comanche warrior who brings, who nurses him back to life after the attack of the of the bad guy. He's the one who's with him on all of his adventures. He's the one who takes care of him. Not to mention his horse, Silver, who's a pretty big character in himself. But, but the thing is, like even the Lone Ranger is not a Lone Ranger. So how can we be Lone Rangers? We can't. God's saying, hey, do it together. Look, we talk about people, place, and purpose. Well, this is the place. This place right here. 47 Milton Street literally within walking, biking, and driving distance of all those towns i mentioned, Milton, Needham, De- uh, uh, Hyde Park, Roslindale, West Roxbury, Norwood, Westwood, Canton. This is the place. Who are the people? Well, what we've seen so much repeatedly is that this is a place where people who are struggling, who are hurting, who have who've been hurt by the church, who have relational hurt, who have physical hurt, who are, let's be honest, struggling to, to grow up in this world that's really hard to face. And God has brought healing and restoration for people right here over and over and over and over again. If we just opened ourselves up to people like that as a church, if we just did that, we would be busting at the seams. We'd be busting at the seams. But also God seems to be pleased to use this church to help people who have been believers a long time and have kind of lost their passion to say, you know what? I'm not going to live like that anymore. I want to be a sold-out follower of Jesus Christ. I want to be a disciple who's growing. And God seems pleased to let us help people in that. Those two groups of people, that's thousands and thousands of people, thousands of people right around here who want that they want that. And God says, "I I actually like using you to do that. I find great delight in seeing this church do that." But we have to work together as a team. We've got to do this as a family. Again, small church can be overwhelming to a few people. So we all have to give it whatever we can. Not everyone can give the same. That's fine. Give what you can. And, but when I say give what you can, I'm not talking about money. I'm talking about money, but I'm talking about way more than money. Way more than money. Your time, your talent, your treasure. You know, I'm going to close with this. In Ephesians 4, which we looked at last week, Paul says, God has given the church five types of people. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Their whole job... Is to equip everyone else to do ministry. So ministry is not something that's done by a select few. Ministry is something that maybe a few help everyone else do, and we need to have that mentality. In church, if we're ready, then we can see what Nehemiah saw. I'm, I'm, I keep doing this. I keep having way more content than I have time to, to address. Uh, it's in the notebook. If you want the notebooks and you don't have it, let me know I'll get it to you. But what I have love to see church is that when we hear these calls that we would respond the way the people in Jerusalem responded, they said, "Let's start rebuilding." And they began the good work. And so really, all that's left for us to do is to say, "Let's start rebuilding. And then let's come together for the good work. And we'll talk about the specifics and we'll talk about the strategy and we'll talk about the actionable game plan, which we didn't have time to talk about now because time is gone. But church, we have the invitation in front of us. The only question is, how will we respond? So I want to invite the worship team to come up. And... I just want to keep this simple again like we're very conscious of we're still we're still in COVID, we're still keeping social distance but if you either where you are want to to respond or you want to come up here and just kind of prayerfully commit yourself to the lord or or whatever it is or you want to email me or 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 anyone on our leader team paul and allison and sonia if you want to reach out and say hey i'm in or Hey, what can I do? How do I take the next step? That's all welcome. That's all welcome. But what I would really be, what I really hope doesn't happen is that we feel in this moment, hey, I want to be a part of that. And then we walk out those doors and just go back to what we're doing. The people who said, let's build, they experienced difficulty, didn't they? Hard work, danger, ridicule, threaded on their lives. It's not a simple call, but it is the call that Jesus gives us. He says, church, would you take up your cross and would you follow me? So church, respond how you need to. I'm going to pray over us and we're going to sing a song about how God is indeed building his kingdom right here. And that he's using the church to be a part of it. The church is God's primary tool to fulfill his mission on this planet. Do you believe that? The church is. That means you are. You are God's primary tool for fulfilling his purpose on this planet. All the hardest work was already done. Jesus did it. All the work that's left, God's doing through us. So let's let's pray. Lord, we we come we come with a little bit of trepidation. I do because I know that there's things that I can do that I'm not doing. But but I know we come knowing that, that we, we still have work to do. We still have a purpose. We still have a calling here. God, you have not brought us from the ashes to leave us halfway through our calling you've not saved us from from death as a community to leave us here without resources and without without uh, your provision of every kind and God you didn't save us you didn't give us salvation through Jesus Christ just to abandon us when there were hard things to do Lord, I'm praying today. I'm, I'm coming to you on behalf of this church, Lord. Lord, help us to be brave. Help us to be steadfast. Help us to be bold. Help us to believe big things and dream big dreams. Help us to trust you in ways that we've been scared to do up to this point. Stretch our faith. Lord, show us that we can't give to you more than you'll give to us. Lord, help us to take that next step of faith in the giving of our time, the giving of our talents, the giving of our treasure. And God, I pray that before each of us walks out of this room, that we would have some concrete, definitive, and clear response to the call this morning. need to be rebuilt, there are gates that need to be restored there are lives that need to be transformed there are lost souls that need salvation there there is a community here that needs to be cared for and there's a community out there that needs to be cared for will we will we respond to that call and say yes let us begin the work help us in that